Last weekend, I, uh, I officiated at a wedding way out in Lebanon, and uh, we, uh, we did the wedding, and after, at the wedding, uh, we're sitting at a table, and there was quite a few Midtowners there, and my wife was there, and we had our meal, and they had this DJ stand, you know, this DJ thing, and the lights, and guys doing the, you know, playing these mu- this music, and, and so everybody, you know, gets up to dance, and um, I, I love to dance, I, but I want you to know that I'm no, absolutely no good at dancing. You know, what is it that, that uh, the greatest advice in the piece of, uh, that ever came through in movies about men dancing is in that movie Hitch, Right? Or he tells his friend, when you dance, just keep your arms in here like this, you know? And, uh, but I think that the expression and what's going on in, in dan- in, with dance is, is a beautiful, awesome thing. And so we're all sitting around there, and it was, I felt like we went back, like time warped, back to high school. And high school was where all the dudes are sitting on the edge, and we're just wondering, like, okay, well... What do we do? And guys know how to slow dance, but not fast dance. And everybody, I think everybody, except for maybe a few that really you know, had no shame, everybody's concerned. Oh, my gosh, what, what do I, if I go out there? You could tell, tell just heavy, like, under, if I go out there, that everybody will be looking at me. And so I get, I, I get really bothered by this. Like, I'm going, why is everybody so inhibited by this? Let's just be free. Let's, you're, let's dance. So I step out on the dance floor, and they're taking us through these steps. And I'm trying, you know. And so no sooner had I, I got done, I hear my friends hooping and hollering back there and, you know, go Joe and stuff. And I find out two hours later that I made Twitter. <laughs> that my dance actually was, it went out in the airwaves. And I just thought of that and I thought, that's exactly why I didn't want to dance. So that nobody would, you know, but I worked through my fear and I decided to be free and go dance. And now I'm on Twitter and probably make YouTube because I found out there's a video later that'll go on YouTube, and I'm sure this, it'll be something like, you know, this pastor decides to dance, or something, you know, and it's horrible, or, you know, something like that. Let me ask you a question. Even though I officiated at the wedding, and we went from super solemn ceremony to then crazy party, was I free to dance? Sure. Did it make any difference that I'm supposed to be a pastor who's dancing? No? To some people, would it make a difference? To all of you, it doesn't make a difference. (laughs) Would it make a difference to you if I was free to dance, but I used my freedom to go do dirty dancing? Would that make a difference? Yes, that would make a difference. 
Thank you very much, Randall. Randall said, yes, that would make a difference. So wait a minute, and, and so I'm right, as I hear you, I'm free to dance, but I'm confined in how I dance. Would that be true? This issue of freedom is exactly what Paul's talking about in our series in 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm just going to pick on a few verses that we're going to talk about today, but let's go ahead and read it. It's in 1 Corinthians 10. We'll start reading there in verse 23. And he says this, look at the quotes there. Everything, he says, everything is permissible. That's the quotes. That means he's quoting something, a statement that's probably a popular statement that's going around in Corinth. Where the, and, it, and, it, and it definitely was um, what a statement that really depicted the lifestyle of, the, of, of Corinth. Everything is permissible. So he's kind of using this statement, and he says this, but <clears throat> not everything is beneficial. He says again, <clears throat> everything is permissible, but not, not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. And then they, they're walking into, because these Corinthian believers are struggling with many questions about their faith and how their faith looks in the world. Like, like all, these, all these things that are going on, and in, in one instance it was, how do we handle food? Because many people in Corinth, the way they handled food was, well, food is to be, to be sacrificed to idols. And so now that we know Christ and we're, the, we're, we're in the new family of believers, do we still sacrifice food to idols? And what does that all mean? They're a little bit confused. Paul's trying to clear this up for them. He's talking to them about how they use their freedom. Verse 25, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. He says, that's fine. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So if some believer invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, for the other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. So be concerned. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience, he says, question mark. If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? We're not going to get into all that. Verse 31, though, we will get into. But he says this, so what, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, he says, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or, ch or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I'm not seeking my good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. What was going on is, is these people, these Corinthian believers, were living in a culture a lot like our culture that we live here in Nashville, Tennessee, which is, is everything is, is, we're free. Everything is permissible. That's what the world's message is, much of it. If you have the ESV, it says all things are lawful. Now, it, it would be agreed by all of us that there are, there's nothing more beautiful than, I think, watching a truly free Christian. But it seems like we have a tendency to kind of walk, go on the pendulum of our freedom. 
We either don't care what people think or we care so much what people think, but we rarely kind of come to the middle, right? We struggle with it. They were struggling with it in terms of what about food? What about food sacrificed to idols? We struggle with it in other areas. Okay. The big question that these Corinthian believers were really asking here, the big macro question, I guess I should say, would be, how do I use my freedom? Now hear this, because it's important. How do I use my freedom to think and live and act in the world? Because Paul would say, you are a redeemed people. You can use your freedom, but you have confines on your freedom. And there's a way in which God wants you to use your freedom that actually exhibits and says something to the world about God. Do you follow? So I am always in the place of at the wedding and saying, wow, I probably shouldn't go out and dirty dance. And that's not because I was the pastor at the wedding. It would be like for some of you folks out on Saturday night. Maybe it would be okay for me to have the 10th martini. Holy cow. Maybe, let's go, let's back it out. Maybe it would be okay for me to have the 4th martini, but it may not be beneficial. It may not be beneficial to who? To me? Well, sure. But it may not be beneficial to God's glory, what God wants to do. It may not benefit what he's trying to do, what he wants to say. We have all these issues. These are always going on. It's really important that we kind of talk about this a little bit, I think, today. How am I to use my freedom that God's given me to think and live and act in my world? That's what they're asking. How am I to be a Christian? And I looked at this definition this week, and it was really disappointing. This is the definition I found this week in, in one of the dictionaries I was looking at, maybe online, and it just said this. This is the Christian. It's an adjective. Professing, professing Christianity or its teachings and in, in the teachings of the Christian church, showing qualities associated with Christians. Good grief. Christian, Christian is Christ follower. Disciple is learner of Christ. Yes, it does have to do with the church, but for so long, we've watered this message down because our definition of Christian has been, I go to church, or I'm with, these, I'm with this church. I go to this church. I'm a Christian. Christ, Christos, Zoe, the life of Christ. Christ lives in us. We are only a Christian if we live and act and think like Christ there's an association, the main association being Christ, not necessarily the church, not necessarily a list of rules. Very important. Because Paul's talking to these people about what it means to be Christians. Do you get it? Way different than Christians who've killed people down through the centuries and on the crusades and all that. No, Christians is a really good way to separate that because Christ is at the center 
Christ even made it possible for us to be Christians. We're Christians. So think about that a little bit. I want to talk to you today about freedom. Because Paul is saying, and he talks a lot about freedom in many of his epistles. And he basically is saying, he says, you're free. When he says everything is permissible, he says, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible again, but not everything is constructive. We're free. We are free to dance. Did you know that? Son and daughter of the living God, you are free to dance. And I mean that in the most beautiful of ways. You are free to be the son or the daughter that God has given you to be. But you absolutely, and so do I, have confines on our freedom. But we're free. The young, there was a young lady that was sitting at our table. She is a mother. And I felt bad for her because I don't think she liked her body. As so many of us don't. Me, 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 me too. And I could tell, because well, she had said, man, when I was in, in college, I was the girl out on the stage, on the, on the table. Now it was, I'm not going out there. I couldn't imagine it. God does want us to be free. The whole gospel is about our freedom. We are free to dance. But let's talk about freedom a little bit deeper. Archbishop Michael Ramsey preached a series of four Cambridge University sermons, and in his first sermon, he posed the question, we know what we want to free men from, but he says this, do we know what we want to free men for? We know what we want to free men from, but do we know what we want to free men for? He says this, went on to say, we want to free them from persecution and from false imprisonment, from crippling hunger and poverty. But those should always be in the context of the more radical and revolutionary issue of this, of the freeing of man from self and for the glory of God. Did you get that? Freeing man from self and for the glory of God. Let's go over real quick as believers, because this is what something we, we, we really need to know rock solid, and this needs to be preached to us often. That's the reason why we need to be in a place like this often, because we need to hear this message. And here's the message. What are we free from? God sent his son Jesus to come to earth to die on the cross for us, and the massive ramifications of that act are many. But one of the main ramifications is that we're free from things. What are we free from in Christ? If we know Christ today, we're free from what? We're free from guilt. And yet, many of us who would say that we're in Christ are sitting here today would say, if we're so free from guilt, why am I always dealing with guilty feelings about my past? I don't know. What is the answer? Do you not believe that you've been set free? Do you not know that Jesus has come to set you free? That you're not guilty any longer? How about, uh, for those of you, young lady, or a young man, before you came to know Christ, do you remember the days 
in which you carried around a burden of guilt on you? Do you remember the heaviness of the burden? Do you remember your conscience constantly speaking to you? Is this what you really want to be doing with your life? You feel horrible. You feel, and it goes on and on, guilt. Freud said that guilt feelings are all pathological, which basically what he was meaning to say was that they're caused by some mental disease or disorder. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible would say that we are not only sinners, but we are guilty sinners. And our conscience tells us so, and the Bible says that if you are not in Christ, when Christ comes back as a guilty sinner, you will go to hell. You will burn in the lake of fire. Wow, kind of sounds like the Baptist church now. Contrary to some what popular authors think about hell, hell is God's idea, not anybody else's, and it's in the Bible. Mark Twain said that man is the only animal that blushes. Or he needs to blush. But what's the truth? What's the truth for us, young son or daughter? The truth is, is that Christ's life, death, and resurrection have made it possible for us to live guilt-free lives. We don't have to blush any longer. Young lady, young man, whatever was in the past, if you are now in Christ and have received forgiveness, you are not, listen to me now, you are not guilty. Your sins have been wiped away. And it's so hard for many of us because we actually believe, how in the world could the Lord ever forgive me, Joel? You don't know about what I've done. You don't know about my college life. You don't know about my childhood. God couldn't possibly, his grace couldn't possibly extend that far. Seriously? You don't know, even know right now how I think about my wife. My, the terrible thoughts I have through the people that I work with. It goes on and on. Did you know that Christ even died for that? You don't have to be or feel guilty. Christ stood in the place of our guilt. It's, it's, the, it's one of the most unbelievable, scandalous pieces of the gospel that we're not a guilty people. It's beautiful. When you know that you're not guilty, you start you know, understanding your freedom, you become a pretty dangerous person. What else are we free from? We're free from self. We're not just free from guilt, but we're free from self. Our self-centeredness is a terrible tyranny. Before Christ, and even even in Christ, many of us understand these words, self-applause, self-absorption, self-absertion, self-advertisement, self-indulgence, gratification, glorification, self-pity, self-importance, it goes on and on. Malcolm Muggridge, one of my real favorite authors that I love reading, spoke often of the dark little dungeon of my own ego. And he said this, and what a dark dungeon it is to be engrossed in our own selfish concerns and ambitions without regard either for the glory of God or for the good of others is to be confined in the most cramped and unhealthy of prisons. Lastly, In Jesus, we are free. We are free here, not just from self, guilt and self, but we're free from fear. 
I want to hit on this a little bit more because this is something that I'm dealing with consistently as I'm with you, you beloved and phenomenal people here at Midtown when I'm sitting with you. I want to talk to you a little bit about this. If we're free from fear, why are so many of us so fearful? And why are so many of us so medicated? If many of us were to travel to the deep Amazon jungle, we would find primitive tribes people who are deeply haunted by spirits. And in elaborate rituals, they work day and night trying to expunge their fear. And many of us would look at that and we would say, what a futile effort. But is that any different than what we do? But we just do it in a more refined way to handle our fears? For many, many, many of us, our lives are completely and utterly driven by deeply haunting fears. It's something I love to talk with you about because the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. There's a reason why so many of us are fearful. Fear of sickness, fear of job loss, fear of what others think, fear that we won't measure up, fear that my kid won't grow up right, fear that if I give them a spanking, they'll hate me, fear of pain, fear of old age, fear of death, fear of the unknown, keep filling in the blank. Let me just share something with you about fear. Remember this, all fear brings paralysis. Nobody who is afraid is free. Think about it. Think about it. Our fears become the very prisons that inhibit us from the very freedom that God's given us. Nobody who is afraid is free. Or is, 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 is free. Fear is like a fungus. I like this quote. It grows most rapidly in the dark. It is essential, therefore, to bring our fears into the light and to look at them, especially in the light of the victory and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. All our fears, and hear this, my friends, all our fears and all our tears are under the feet of Jesus. He stands supreme. He's freed you from your fear. Fear and freedom are mutually incompatible. Two boys were playing on the, out on the lake. And they were on vacation with their father. And the two sons, one was a 12-year-old and the other one was a 3-year-old. You may have heard this story before. The 12-year-old was supposed to be watching his little 3-year-old son, little Billy, and the uh, 12-year-old thought it would be uh, good to kind of, as, as 12-year-olds do, kind of look the other way and do his thing. And the three-year-old little Billy thought that it would be great time for him to check out the shiny new aluminum fishing boat tied at the end of the dock. So he went out to the dock, and he put one foot in the boat, and one foot was on the dock, and he lost his balance, and he fell into the water. And the splash, all, of course, alerted the 12-year-old, and the 12-year-old, you know, screamed at his dad, 
His dad comes running down from the boathouse. He jumps into the water. He swims down. He's unable to grab anything. He doesn't feel his son. He comes up for air, and he's sick with panic. He heads back down into the water. Finally, on his way up, he, he felt little Billy's arm, the story goes, and he locked it on a death grip. And he looks, and as he grabs the hold of his, his son's arms, the son is down, actually, in the water, underneath the water, holding on to, the, to the, the pipes or the piers of the dock with a death grip. He doesn't want to move. So he had to pry the boy's fingers loose. And, of course, as soon as he did that, they burst up through, and they got, they got air. And a little while after that, everything kind of calms down. And the father was a little bit bothered at the same time, confused by what had happened. And the father asked his son, he says, what on earth were you doing down there hanging on to the post so far underwater? And little Billy answered in the classic way that only little kids would say, and he said this, I was just waiting on you, Dad. I was just waiting on you. For much of my life, I'm like that three-year-old. And for whatever, whatever faces me and whatever happens in my life, I have a tendency to go deep underwater and hold on to things that I have no business holding on to because I'm fearful just like you. And there's many times that God has done all kinds of things to come down and get me and pry my hands loose. But for some reason, I like to go deep. Still, even though I'm way older than you. But God continues to whisper me this message, and it's this, that I'm coming for you, I'm here, and I'm big enough, and I'm bigger than all your fears. And he is. So now that we know what we're free from, let's, let's end by saying, what are we free for? Because that's the question. In verse 31 of chapter 10, Paul says, I love this verse. So whether you eat or drink, and that's what he's talking to them about, but then he throws in the big caveat, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So if you think about that, I guess you'd have to ask God, God, what is your purpose for us here on earth? And God would say in this sense, what he's saying to us is that I want you to use your freedom for my glory. Did you hear what I said, young person? I want you to use your freedom for my glory. Whatever you do, we are missional people. That's the truth. Our mission is simple. Our mission is to glorify God in all that we do and say, whatever it is. How do I think, live, and act in the world? I answer that question with a statement. Whatever would bring the most glory to God is how I think, live, and act in the world. So I have to ask myself the question on the dance, okay, Lord, is this, what would bring most glory to you? Would a dirty dance thing do that? The answer, isn't it interesting how the answer becomes so simple? But many of us haven't gotten to the stage yet in our lives where we're willing to not only ask the question, listen to what I'm saying, 
not only just ask the question, but then obey what I believe God's saying. Two huge chasms. I mean, come on. You guys have heard this all before. This is so, this is, oh, that's so fun. Joel, you're right. That's my motto. What, whatever you do, you do it all for God's glory. Praise him. Seriously? Is it, no, seriously, I know that you're all not that cheesy, but isn't that exactly what's, what goes on? We ask the question, we posture right, we put the hand up, we put the WWJD, we talk to people, we go to whatever it is. But the chasm between that to saying, okay, what would actually glorify you? Okay, how about this? Lord, what would glorify you? What would glorify your name? Because I am in a massive conflict with my wife. Let me, let me take a walk and take a breather Go have a cigarette. Oh, a freedom. Let me take a walk and let me ask you the question. Lord, what would bring you the most glory as it relates to my wife? Lord, what would, relate, what would bring you the most glory as it relates to the problem that I'm having at work with my boss, with my mother, fill in the blank? How I want to think, live, and act in the world is to actually ask the question and then to actually do this actually answer the question with the body that God's given me. I'm using my body now. I'm using my body in the realm of freedom to honor and glorify God. And that's an easy thing to agree with. Imagine for a minute, let me hit on this before I close. Imagine for a minute what would happen in all situations that we run into in life. Issues of conflict in the church, issues of confusion, issues of how we spend our money, issues of our time, that we would agree from the very beginning to have this binding arbitration with the agreed upon principle being this, whatever will give God the most glory, that's what I'm into. Just just think about the ramifications of it. It slays me, and it's something I don't want to do. I want to do this, whatever will bring Joel the most glory, When the Titanic was sinking, a rich lady was in her cabin when the order to abandon ship was given. There was no time for packing her possessions, and she noticed there on her dressing table there were two things. There was her jewelry box and a bowl of oranges. She made a real rapid assessment of what was the most valuable thing to her in the situation that she was in. Wisely, she abandoned her jewels and she quickly grabbed some oranges so that it would give her some kind of nourishment while the ship went down. It seems like the world that we live in seems to be going down just like that, doesn't it? And all of us are faced with big choices every day of how to use our freedom. And here's what I want to say. I like the concept of choosing the oranges because that's kind of like living a life for the glory of God. It's not shiny like the jewels. But the benefit is so much unbelievably greater. You think about that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.
Thank you for our time together and thank you for your word and thank you that through Jesus you've made it possible for us to be free sons and daughters. And Lord, I pray that we would um, understand this beautiful thing. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, convict us because I think that there's many of us who have abused our freedom. And there's also many of us who aren't using our freedom properly, Lord, as it relates to what it would look like to give you glory. It's a big topic, and we need you to speak to us, and we're just like these Corinthian believers who are confused about what to do many times. Lord, we would also confess to you today that we're a people who don't understand how beautiful your glory is. Speak to us now in the next few minutes of silence, Lord. We thank you in your name. Amen.